You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, our bread of life, our chief cornerstone, the good shepherd, the king of kings, our mediator, the victorious one, the true vine. There have been many prophecies spoken about him throughout all the Old Testament. One particularly in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. How many are looking forward to that? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And when we hear that kind of description, if we be honest in our flesh, we have an imagination that that makes that look like a Marvel character who's strong and big, who's powerful and burly, But in this prophecy in Isaiah 53, we see him a little differently. It describes him as having no form or majesty that we should look at him or no beauty that we should desire him. He will be despised and rejected by men. He will be our man of sorrow, acquainted with our grief. The one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought our peace. And in this text in Matthew, we see the name Emmanuel, God with us. And in case you've been living under a rock, I'm talking about Jesus. His name is Jesus, God who chose to come in human flesh as a baby. Kind of not what I would have had in mind if I would have heard these kind of prophecies about this powerful king and ruler. But this is the, the humility in which our Jesus came. So we've been in this series of Advent, and that just literally means an arrival or a coming. I like Durin Gray's um, definition of Advent. He literally said, Advent is a time in which followers of Jesus prepare and remember what God in Christ has done to break into the world, to set the captives free, to forgive sins, open blind eyes, and establish his kingdom on earth. And guess what? We play a role in that. I was really convicted as I was uh, preparing for this message, and I just sensed the, that I just sensed Jesus say this to my heart: that in the midst of all of this imagery that we'll go through, He was like, "Don't forget about me." In John five thirty nine through forty, Jesus said, "You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me." 
yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Here's the dangerous thing that can happen in our scholarly pursuit of the Bible, in the familiarity of church and hearing scripture every week. We all, and I've done it a lot of times, we can miss Jesus. And when you miss Jesus, you miss the whole of scripture, you miss the point of living, you miss the reason for Advent, you miss the whole reason for this season. Without Jesus, your reward for Christmas is Santa Claus. Congratulations. Without Jesus, it's just about empty gifts. But there's no hope. There's no purpose. And unfortunately, it's very easy to do. It's very easy to miss Jesus. Whether it's our apathy, our familiarity, our staunch rebellion, we often miss Jesus in our daily lives. But he's the Messiah that this text, that both texts are talking about. He's the Messiah that came to this world, and he's the Messiah in whom's return we are eagerly waiting on. And so in these two texts, we see Emmanuel, God with us. And I love the tension of this because you get to see this phrase kind of come to life, the already but the not yet. We see God becoming a baby in this Matthew text. And then we see God's presence on full display in New Jerusalem in Revelation. And so we're going to take some time to kind of overview the Matthew text. We see Jesus' birth in a place called Bethlehem. And here's even another little fact just to show his humility. Bethlehem was a very small and insignificant town. Their claim to fame was Ruth and Boaz, David. And that just further shows the humility of Christ because when you think of a king coming to earth, if you're like me, see y'all may be a little holier than me, but when I think of a king coming to the earth, I'm like, you come down like a boss. <laughs> and if you're prideful like me, I would have came on not no donkey. I would have came in a spaceship or something to let you know your bruh is here. And I'm coming to save the world. But our God, our king, Emmanuel, God with us, came as a baby born in a town called Bethlehem. And in Matthew, we get a chance to see God dwelling amongst people, some of his first interactions with people. And guess what? It's a very interesting bunch of people. They were wise men, also known as magi from the east. They were astrologers. And Jesus hanging around interesting people would kind of be his mantra if you follow the Gospels. We don't know how many of these people it was. As Cam reminded us, our nativity scene has been lying to us. I'm still tickled over him hiding the wise man. That was so funny. We don't know how many it was, but what we do know is that they were on mission looking for the king of the Jews because they saw his star and they had come to worship him. We don't know the real religious practices they had, but they saw the manifestation of God's glory in the heavens. And guess what? They responded and they traveled to worship the king, the true king. And so we see in this text, that they went to the obvious place that you would look 
for a king. They went to Jerusalem, and they went to this guy named King Herod. And let me tell you a little bit about Herod. He was insane. He was paranoid. He was unpredictable. And all of that is an understatement. This man killed his family. And when he was in turmoil, everybody was in turmoil. And so when they asked him, where can they find the king? He became greatly disturbed because in his mind, he was like, it ain't no other king but me. What are you talking about? And so he summoned the scribes and the chief priests to tell him where Christ would be born. And let me tell y'all, as I begin to just look at this text and see the different, see the different people in this text, some little nuggets that the Lord kind of just put in my heart that was convicting me. Uh, I don't be wanting them convictions, but he just send them when you read text. And, and I noticed that he called on leaders who clearly knew the scripture, but never pursued the Savior. They didn't act on what they had studied. They were indifferent. And so Herod, after knowing where Christ would be born, he summoned the wise man to try to find out where Jesus was so he could say he's going to worship, but his real motive was to actually kill Jesus, to try to thwart the plan of God because nobody was about to take his kingdom away. And so the wise man, they finally make it to Jesus. And where Herod was distressed about a new king, we see the wise men were overwhelmed with joy to see this king. And their response was that of worship. They fell to their knees before this child with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And let me tell you something. They would have traveled an incredible distance to see this king, to worship this king. But here's the thing. They knew that he was worth the journey. I want to pause and ask us a question to contemplate. You don't have to answer it now. But how much are we willing to be inconvenienced to worship the king of kings? How badly... Do we want them? And after the wise man, they, after they saw him, they were warned in a dream to go in another route. And something that uh, Ben pointed out as we were talking about the scripture, they unknowingly participated in God's purpose and working against Herod after their encounter with Jesus. And so we see in this Matthew text, three different responses to Jesus that we don't want to overlook. Because oftentimes we can get so caught up in the imagery. I was actually laughing while reading this text because at the age of nine, my mom forced me to be in this embarrassing play about this text. And the guy that played King Herod kind of took his role a little, a little too far. And I was one of Herod's servants, and he kept randomly in the middle of the play, come hither, and we would have to run to him with this beautiful bowl of grapes. And I will admit that I stole a couple, but it's okay. But sometimes in that trivial stuff, in the plays, in the skits, you can forget that this text is talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And that's an implication on the way that we live. So we see three responses to Jesus in this text that we can't overlook. We see the response of Herod, which was hatred and hostility. 
because of the threat of his own kingdom. We see the chief priests and the scribes that were kind of indifferent, yet maintained their religiosity. And then we see the wise men who sought after Jesus and worshiped him even at great cost. And so here's my question to us tonight. Where are we on that spectrum? Do we find ourselves threatened by the kingdom of God because he messes with our worldview? He messes with our American scheme, I mean, American dream. He messes with politics. The kingdom of God, it messes with how we see and interact with the world, how we treat those that are marginalized. The kingdom of God, it agitates those things. So where do we see ourselves on the spectrum? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. And we see that when we see the response of the wise men who sought after Jesus and they worshiped him. And so in, in, in this Matthew 2 text, we see the response to Emmanuel, God with us. Now we peer over to Revelation. And I'll admit, as I was reading Revelation, I begin to feel super convicted because I don't reflect on this as much as I should. I don't reflect on the fact that this world is temporary. And I find myself in anxiety and fear and in turmoil because this year has given us a lot to be afraid of. It's given us a lot to be anxious about. And one of the benefits of this new Jerusalem, of this new heaven and this new earth, that it is a reminder that this is not our home. That we're just aliens here for a short time. So no matter what calamity you find yourselves in, this scripture and this text will give us hope if we feast on it. In chapter 21, it opens up with such beautiful words of comfort that reminds us that in the new heaven, all things will be made new. There'll be no more tears, no more mourning. God will be with his people forever. And then we continue that in verses 9 and 10 with the same angel that poured the bowls leading John to this vision, another vision of this city, the new Jerusalem. And then in verses 11 through 27, we see a beautiful description of this city. Like all of the book of Revelation, this chapter is symbolic. But here's the thing about this. Our human sinful minds cannot comprehend for real the joy and the glory of the presence of God. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, it says, eyes have not even seen, nor have ears heard. It's not even entered into the thoughts of man, the things that God has prepared for us. And so no matter how much we study and think that we know the imagery, we still don't get it. We still don't understand the beauty and the glory that we will experience in our sinless bodies. No matter if the jewels are literal, 
The ultimate reality of these texts is that heaven is about a person, Jesus, and it's about fellowship with our triune God. In verse 16, there was something that was really cool that stood out. It talked about how the city would be laid out as a square. And that is referring to, is it, it could be an allusion to the holies of holies in 1 Kings 6, 19 through 20, which was also a perfect cube. What that's just showing us is the beauty and the glory and the splendor that we can't even imagine in this new Jerusalem. Then we see in verse 22, I want to read it. It said, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the, um, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So this city has no temple. And here's the reason. There'll be no temple in this new Jerusalem because a representation of God's presence will no longer be necessary. We will have his direct presence. Perfect fellowship has come. God is with his people, and God is the source of everything, and we'll be in our glorified bodies. Our minds can't even fathom that right now, what that would really be like. Then in verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God give its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By his light will, be, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In Isaiah 60, 19 through 20, it reminds us of this beautiful promise that the sun shall be no more your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Somebody say amen to that. Believers, we will experience God's presence in his full intensity as we never have before. And here's the beautiful thing. That we get a small forced taste of that right now by the Holy Spirit living in us. But it is nothing even compared to what this will look like when Jesus reappears and returns. There will be an enjoyment continually of God's presence. And guess what? It'll be undistracted. I'm going to show say amen to that one because I get very distracted easily. But we'll behold the beauty of the Lord, very undistracted. Here's a cool, cool thing to point out in verse 24. By his light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And his gates will never be shut and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. The beautiful part of this is showing us that God's people who will be represented will be from all tribes and all nations. Cam gave a beautiful analogy as we were talking through this about how we may even have our languages and our accents. So sorry if you're country, you'll still be country in heaven. <laughs> but it shows the beautiful picture of the promise that was first spoke to Abraham, that in him will be many nations, many ethnos. 
that beautiful picture in Revelations that all people, all tribes will bow down and worship King Jesus. So why not participate in that now? The multi-ethnic church is not a church planting idea. We're not that smart. Before Dr. King had a dream, God did. He wanted a family. And that family is made of many nations, many tribes and many tongues, many languages. And the implication of that for us now is do we live a life in reality of that? Man, I can't wait. That sounds like a party. Mm. So we see this beautiful truth that all peoples will be represented in this city. Now in verse 27, there's a sobering implication that we see here, and I gotta point it out to be faithful, but nothing unclean will enter will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's the reality. As beautiful as this city is, not everyone will get to enjoy it. And so what is the implications of that? Because there are people in our family right now who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. They're in mine. How do we live in light of that? We be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ and pray that their eyes are open because I don't want to enjoy this beautiful city by myself. I want to see my family know Jesus in a personal way. And I want to know that their names is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then we see in the concluding verses, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, we see this beautiful picture of the river of life flowing from the throne of God. And honestly, this whole section of Scripture, it just reminds us that Jesus is all that we need. He is our source. I remember when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, he said, hey, girl, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, lady. <laughs> Sometimes my hood come out. Y'all got to pray for me. He said, if you really knew who I was, you'd actually be asking me for a drink. If we really saw Jesus, we would really be begging at the fountain for a drink. So let all who are thirsty come and drink. That's an invitation for right now. Let all who are weary come and drink. Guys, we will see Jesus face to face and to be able to actually stand it. What a picture. Here's the reason why these two texts are very important today. Because there's so much that are going on in the world and we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight that this world is not our home. We lose sight that this is not all there is. Because the revelation of this 
There's a real implication in the way that we actually live our lives. So how does this affect how we live today? How do we worship between these advents? I want to give us two things, and then I want to pray the band can come on up now. But through the Spirit's power, my prayer is that we remove all the hindrances, all the idols, all the sin that's hindering us from worshiping the true and living God. Then the second thing, my prayer is that we urgently and faithfully partner with God in his mission so that he can save those who are lost. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're looking forward to seeing you. If you don't mind praying with me, Father, thank you so much for this beautiful revelation of Emmanuel God with us, both the already, and then the one, the not yet that we're waiting on. And Lord, I pray even now that in the midst of our circumstances and situations that I've made clear the beauty of Jesus. God, I pray that the implications of this word will have a lasting outcome in the way that we live our lives, that we're understanding that we're living between the advents, and that one day the pain and the terror, the injustice that we see on a daily basis, the crime and the violence, the sex trafficking, all of these horrific things that we see, they will be, there'll be an end to it. And so Lord, help us to live in the in-between. Help us to live lives that are faithful to the revelation of Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, we thank you for coming in the midst of our brokenness. Thank you for coming in the midst of our pain. Thank you for being acquainted with us and our sorrows. And so Lord, we just say, come quickly. We await your arrival. For the person in this room that may not know you, may they hear the words of revelation. Come, come and drink. May they see their need for you as we've made the picture of Jesus so clear. May they see your nail-pierced hands reaching out to them, saying, come, repent of your sin, turn, begin to worship King Jesus with your life. For those of us who already know him, may we live lives of worship, lives in response to Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name. And we all said amen.